0: Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Dr. Ronnie Bannock is a board certified ophthalmologist, fellowship trained neuro ophthalmologist, and a functional medicine expert. And today we're going to talk all things eye health. Ronnie, welcome.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Jason.
0: So it's so great to have you here. Eye health. Is, we all have, is something we don't talk enough about. We all have eyes. My, my grandmother suffered from macular degeneration and toward the end of her life really couldn't see. So it's, it's near and dear to my heart. So one, why aren't we talking enough about eye health? I can't believe like, we, we really haven't talked about it on this podcast. So wh- what have I been thinking about? I miss this. Why haven't we been talking about it enough? And what are we, what are we getting wrong? So two big questions, but, but let's start there.
1: Yeah, so so you're not alone in terms of not really eye health, not being at the forefront in your mind. In many people's minds, our vision is kind of an afterthought. We don't really, we take it for granted that we can see well. And we only really think about it when something happens and we're not seeing well, or if we have a dry eye or discomfort or something happens. So you know, my, my philosophy is that our vision is so precious and we have two eyes, but they're very delicate organs. We need to protect them. We need to protect them for our lifetimes. And so it really is so important, even though, yes, we take it for granted, that we be proactive about our vision health. There are really some important things we can do to protect and preserve our vision and try to prevent some of those conditions that can happen later on in life that many people get, age-related conditions like cataracts and glaucoma and macular degeneration, as you mentioned. So there are a lot of great strategies out there, actually scientifically proving strategies to protect vision. Especially for kids, you were mentioning
0: children. Yeah, so let so let's start there. So we'll put people in two buckets. So like one for, for someone who has normal vision. What are some of the, the things that that person can do to proactively take care of their eye health? And then part two is for someone who, you know, is at risk for macular degeneration or cataracts. Two part question. There, I'm throwing a lot of questions at you. One, how do you know if you're at risk? And if you are, what can you do? So we're covering some big buckets in terms of prevention.
1: Sure. So I would say if you're going to do one thing to protect your vision, eat a balanced diet. That is the number one thing you can do. Because most eye diseases happen because of oxidative stress. And the way you can prevent against oxidative stress is to have those antioxidants in your diet. And again, studies have shown that if you have enough leafy greens, other various colored fruits and vegetables in your diet, then you can actually ward off diseases like cataracts and macular degeneration. So that's one really important thing. The second thing is avoid toxins, particularly smoke and fumes. And we definitely know that smoking is a big risk factor for, for many eye conditions from dry eye to lid issues, potentially cancers of the eye. And then again, and cataracts and macular degeneration. So try to avoid situations where you're exposed to smoke or even cooking fumes. Like Some of my patients, they love to barbecue and yes, it's great to barbecue, but some of those fumes, they have a lot of toxins in them. So definitely if you're gonna be exposed to that, make sure you're wearing some kind of safety goggles, safety protection. Other, and that's something else you can do that oftentimes is, is overlooked is stay well hydrated. So our eyes really rely on adequate oxygen supply. And in order to get that oxygen to our eyes, we need to have enough blood volume to get oxygen to our eyes. And I've actually seen patients where they've been very dehydrated, just not taking care of themselves. They're taking care of themselves, maybe not eating properly, eating on a regular schedule. And they develop eye issues. I've actually had people who've developed strokes of the eye because they're severely dehydrated uh, and or anemic. So these are some of the basics that we recommend. And then the last thing I would say is, to answer your question about how do you know if you're at risk for any of this, or do you have early, eye disease, the best thing to do is if you're an adult, particularly over the age of 40, go see an eye doctor once a year. You know, I have some people when I tell them that I'm an ophthalmologist, they say, oh, my eyes are fine. I've never had an issue. I see 20, 20. Why do I need to go see the eye doctor? But what I tell them that is that many of these eye conditions initially are completely silent. They're asymptomatic. And the only way to pick them up, particularly glaucoma and macular degeneration, is to get an eye exam, to get a dilated eye exam. So be proactive at doing all those things.
0: So there's a lot to unpack there. And I'm going to put in two buckets, food and lifestyle. So in terms of food, you talked about dark leafy greens. If you could drill down a bit and tell us what are some of the absolute best foods for eye health? And then also, what are some of the worst foods?
1: Yeah, so if, if I had to choose one food for eye health, I would say it's kale. Kale is great for some. Many things, particularly for our eyes, kale has some nutrients called macular carotenoids. And it may sound like a mouthful to say, and they're actually the scientific terms are even more and more tricky to say. Lutein and zeaxanthin are the two eye nutrients that are in kale and other leafy greens. But what these nutrients are now, this is really interesting. Nature has designed our eyes to protect against various wavelengths of light, particularly UV light and blue light. And the way nature has done that is to put these pigments in the retina in the back of our eyes. And these pigments, they absorb harmful rays and they neutralize them. So they are our internal blue blockers. So that's why many eye doctors will tell you, eat leafy greens because leafy greens like kale and spinach and collard greens and Swiss chard and all those other great you know leafy greens we put in our salads and have smoothies with, they all have these two nutrients, lutein and zeaxanthin, really important. And then in terms of other foods, I usually recommend to have what I call, you know, people say, should I be on a keto diet? Should I be on a Mediterranean diet? Should I do paleo? What's best for eye health? What I tell them is the best thing is a plant-rich diet. It doesn't have to be plant-based, but plant-rich. And get a variety of, not just the leafy greens, but the full range of colors in your diet. So have your reds, your oranges, your greens, your blues, your blacks, your purples. And if you do that, you'll provide your eyes with all the antioxidants they need, all the vitamins and minerals and other nutrients they need to stay healthy. So in a nutshell, that's what I would
0: say. So, so I'm glad you said orange, because I'm thinking, what about carrots? I, feel, I, I just yeah. had carrots ingrained in my head for yeah. forever. Yeah, oh,
1: was right. We need carrots, absolutely. So carrots have beta-carotene, they actually don't have lutein or zeaxanthin, but they had beta carotene. And beta carotene is a form of vitamin A. And it is absolutely critical for eye health because it helps to prevent night blindness. And actually there are certain, not so much in, in the Western world, but there are certain countries, underdeveloped countries where this is a real problem, especially in children where they have uh, vitamin A deficiency and they end up with night blindness. Now, fortunately it's reversible. So if you catch it early, early enough and you supplement with vitamin A, you can reverse some of those changes.
0: So you mentioned vitamin A and lutein and zeaxanthin, and I, I know them as, as supplements. Uh, on the subject of supplements, what are some supplements for that are just phenomenal for, for eye health? I, I know those are some big ones what else?
1: Yeah. So if I had to choose the ideal supplement, first of all, it doesn't exist. There are probably over 40 or 50 eye health supplements on the market. And I've researched many of them, looked at their ingredients, their formulations. There is no perfect supplement out there yet, because our eyes, again, need so many nutrients. But I would say there's probably at least 20 different nutrients our eyes need to stay healthy. So we'll start with lutein, zeaxanthin. And then there's a version, another macular carotenoid called mesozeaxanthin. That's a version of lutein. And it's not so readily found in food. So if you're looking for an eye health supplement, make sure it has that mesozeaxanthin in there. So I like to call them vitamins L, Z, and M, even though they're not really vitamins, the eye health nutrients, I call them. Then you want to have all of the antioxidants. So we're talking before about vitamin A. So vitamin A, in addition to helping prevent night blindness, is also an antioxidant. Vitamin C vitamin E. You also need vitamin D, because it definitely is involved in many enzymatic processes in the eyes. And all the Bs, you need basically all of the Bs. So B1, B2, B3, B6, folate, and B12. You need them all. And then there are some other potent antioxidants, like astaxanthin. So many people have heard of astaxanthin. It comes from an algae. It's really interesting, the story of how they discovered this, but it's it's an algae that lives in harsh conditions. And it's it's basically created this astaxanthin astaxanthin to protect itself from harsh sunlight and drought and other dire circumstances. So this astaxanthin helps to protect our eyes. There's actually studies done in which astaxanthin was really found to help be helpful in terms of blood flow to the eye, protecting it against oxidative stress and damage. So astaxanthin And I can keep going if you want. No, I
0: I (laughs) love it. At least
1: 20 different things I would put in the ideal eye supplement. I I
0: love astaxanthin. It's in one of our supplements. And it's also great for wrinkles around the eyes. Yes. So it's got got another benefit. benefit. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, double benefit. So in terms of foods though in the same way that a, you know if you asked a cardiologist like what are the worst foods i think no matter where you stand i think a car- where our all cardiologists would agree is probably like heavily processed red meat they would all agree on as not being optimal for diet is there a food that's that's not good for eye health or just not applicable in, in your field
1: so i wouldn't say a specific food but a particular style of eating uh, that many people call the SAD diet or the standard American diet. So again, the, the process, heavily processed foods, a simple refined sugars. Diabetes is actually a leading cause of blindness. So the more simple sugars you have, the more the risk to retina in the back of the eye. And then also unhealthy fats. So, of course, we want to have a balance of um, omega-3s and omega-6s. And definitely omega, you know, having a diet that's rich in omega-6 will increase your level of inflammation. And that is oftentimes reflected in the eyes as well. There are many inflammatory conditions that affect the eyes. Some of them are even autoimmune, so autoimmune conditions like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, MS. These can all affect our eye health. And so try to have um, a good balance between omega-3 and 6. And just again, try to avoid those sad type foods. Now, a lot of people say it's just too hard to do and I don't want to give up my treats. And what I usually tell them is you don't have to give it up completely. But try to have, I, I usually like to say, follow the 80-20 rule. So 80% of the time, try to eat healthy. Have those healthy foods in your diet, all those colorful fruits and vegetables. And 20% of the time, you can have your treats and enjoy those.
0: I love that. That's. I'm pretty close to the 80-20. And I think, like anything with regards to nutrition, you have to make a lifestyle. And you have to do something that doesn't become a quick fix diet that you're on and off. And it just you get, it's got to work for your lifestyle. So I love the 80-20. Yes. So in terms of strain on the eyes, can't help but think of digital eye strains, blue light. We're all on our phones. We're on our laptops. You see so many blue light glasses out there. And so one. let's talk about digital eye strain and blue light and, and what's going on there. And then I'm curious, do any of these products work?
1: Yeah, great topic. <laughs> it's, it's very timely also during the pandemic. So during the pandemic, we've had an epidemic of digital eye screen where, I mean, actually before, so this is, these are some interesting numbers before the pandemic, the average U S adult spent almost 11 hours a day in front of a screen. That's mind boggling. And for children, it was estimated to be about six hours a day. Again, this is pre pandemic. So you can imagine now, our reliance on our screens, is, it's just skyrocketed. So digital eye strain, it's a syndrome and different people have various types of symptoms, but the most common symptoms are dry eyes, blurriness, difficulty focusing, sometimes even headaches and light sensitivity, and sometimes even neck and shoulder pain. So that kind of all fun, falls under the, the big umbrella term of digital eye strain. Some people call it computer vision syndrome. They're pretty much synonymous. And in terms of you know what it can do to our eyes, Fortunately, it doesn't cause any long-term risk or damage, which is really good to know. A lot of people say, my screen's going to make me go blind, and my answer is no, it's not going to make you lose your vision permanently. But definitely, it can give you those short-term symptoms of digital eye strain. So, so there are certain things you can do to try to counteract that, to try to prevent it, and we can go through that. But I also just wanted to touch upon blue light, because you it is, again, a topic of concern. So blue light is visible light, but it's on the short wavelength of visible light. And it's usually between, I'll get a little bit technical here, but it's between 400 to 500 nanometers. And and the shorter the wavelength, the more potential damage it can do to our eyes. But the blue light that comes from our devices is a little bit on the longer end of the blue light spectrum. It's usually about 460 to 475. So it's not in that range that potentially could really do harm, that could basically cause a burn in our retina. That's it's not going to happen from the blue light that we get from our devices but blue light definitely can contribute to digital eye strain and it can also make it harder to fall asleep so there's actually been quite a bit of research done in terms of sleep patterns and exposure to screens and sleep latency and so the t- the typical recommendation is to try to limit your device use a couple of hours before bedtime i know it's really hard to do but I'm guilty of that myself, staying on my devices, waiting to the night. But it is if you can possibly try to limit that blue light
0: exposure at night. So, in terms of all the products available, because I'm in meetings all day, we're doing this interview via Skype. We're all on screens more. The numbers were pretty scary pre COVID. I don't even want to know how bad the numbers are today. What, what can we do with regards to protecting ourselves here? What, what are some viable options?
1: Yeah, so there are quite a few manufacturers of those blue blocking glasses out there now. And in the past, I would say a couple of years back, there were probably only two or three big manufacturers. Now it seems like almost everyone is making these blue blockers. And what I'll tell you is that not all blue blockers are made the same. So they all filter out different amounts of that blue light. And there was actually a study done. This is a couple of years back, 2016, out of Consumer Reports, and they looked at the top three blue blocking glasses on the market. And they measured them. They went. They measured them to see how much blue light they actually block only one of the brands, one out of three, only blocked about 98% of the blue light. The other brands blocked about 30 to 40% of that blue light. So what I'll tell you is, you know, if you, if you get blue blockers and if you see the lenses pretty much clear, or even light yellow, it's probably not blocking out most of that blue light. But if you get the darker colored lenses, the tinted, like the amber tint or orange or red tint, that will probably be blocking out most of the blue light. Now, it's not to say that you have to block out all the blue light, it's really based on your comfort level. But I can tell you when I wear my denser blue blockers, I definitely feel the difference. And a quick and easy uh, trick you can do to figure out whether your blue light, your blue blockers are really working for you or not is if you put them on and then you look at your screen and you have something on your screen that's blue, if you can still see that color blue, it means that it's not really blocking out that blue light. It's, It's a quick and simple thing many people don't realize that they can do to know if it's
0: so, so I have to ask, do you do you recall the name of the, the top brand?
1: Yes, it is a Uvex Skyper.
0: You can you say that again?
1: Uvex u v e x Skyper. And I think Uvex is also the the company that makes ski goggles, so they make a lot of oh, different
0: interesting. Artwork. okay. And I'll have to check them out.
1: It's called Skyper. and i I just checked last week on Amazon. it's fairly inexpensive. I think it's only about ten or twelve dollars. Oh wow. that all versus. A lot of opticians, a lot of optical shops, a lot of online manufacturers, they charge $100 and up on their blue blockers. So you don't have to spend a ton of money to get the value of those blue blockers.
0: I love it. And so for someone who doesn't want to wear the blue blockers, what can we, is there anything we can do for our laptops, for our screens to, to, to minimize the impact there?
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you asked because a lot of people get uh, screen protectors or screen filters that they actually physically put on their screen. But I actually prefer these screen filtering apps. So there are some apps that you can download to your computer, your laptop, your phone, and that will internally remove the blue light. And actually, they sync to your geographic location. So you basically put in where you are. And the app will know, okay, when is the sun rising, when is the sun setting, and it will adjust the amount of blue light, because blue light's not all bad. We need blue light. It's emitted by the sun. It's actually, the sun is the highest emitter of blue light, and it helps to regulate our sleep-wake cycle. But those apps are phenomenal. They will adjust the blue light and basically cut the blue light about two hours before, or actually very soon after the sun sets it will cut the blue light. So it'll it'll protect you for that time. And they're called there are two of them that I like. One is called Flux F dot L U X. And the other one is called Iris IrisTech. Iris.tech actually. No, sorry. IrisTech.co. That's that's the name of it. Iris Tech.co.
0: I love it. These are three huge product recommendations for all of our listeners. I, for one, am going to buy the glasses and do those downloads.
1: Yeah. And I'll just, I'll just mention one more thing. I have no proprietary interest in this, but um, Iris tech, I actually prefer that one because it has 27 different settings. You can play around with it and see what you feel most comfortable with. And you can do healthy mode, sleep mode, night mode, moving mode, whatever you'd like. And so it's got a lot of versatility
0: in it. So, so much has changed for, for medical practitioners in COVID. And and I asked this question of many of our guests, how has your practice changed? What are you seeing more of in your practice? What did people come see you for before COVID and and has that changed? And we'll say mid-COVID or somewhat close to post-COVID.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So in the past, pre-COVID, My practice was, it was pretty broad. I I do bread and butter ophthalmology, I also do neuro-ophthalmology, I also do migraine. But I would say now I see a lot of dry eye type symptoms come in, a lot of eye strain, digital eye strain. And also, I'm also seeing patients who, older patients, who have been diagnosed with cataract and they're coming in for cataract surgery. And the reason is because now that we're all wearing masks, or most of us are wearing masks, they tend to fog up our glasses. And so a lot of people want to be glasses-free. So it's very interesting that around after the worst of COVID, hopefully the worst of COVID is behind us, but after that period got better, many people opted to either get cataract surgery or refractive surgery, which is basically LASIK, so they can be glasses-free. And another reason is so they can be contact-free, contact lens-free, contact lens because um, in, the, in initially, you know, there was a concern about wearing contacts. If we touch our eyes, could we potentially be transmitting the virus to our eyes? But that really hasn't played out I really have not heard of any you know, significant outbreaks of uh, conjunctivitis, COVID conjunctivitis because of contact lens use, but you know, it is something that crosses many people's minds in terms of what they can do to be proactive and protect their eyes from during this time.
0: So you mentioned contacts, my wife wears contacts, millions of people wear contacts. What should we know about contacts or is there anything to know or are they harmless? What should we know about contacts?
1: So contacts, I wear contacts too. Contacts are, for me, a lifesaver. And for many people, it just there's a convenience to it. But the main thing you should know is that contact lenses are not meant to be worn really long term, even though the brand may say, oh, it's a two week lens, or it's a one month lens, you should not be sleeping in your contacts, uh, because that increases the risk of infection and potentially potentially a corneal ulcer, which can be really devastating. You should not be swimming in your contacts. That's definitely a no-no. Swimming either in a pool or even in the ocean because there are microbes in there. And if they get into your eye again, it could be devastating. And the last thing is more of an inconvenience than really a a major issue, but contacts do increase the risk of dry eye. So so just if you wear contacts, you know, make sure you, if you feel dryness, you lubricate often.
0: So dry eyes come up a few times. How do we know if it's just dry eye and or something more serious?
1: So dry eye tends to come and go. So people may experience like temporary blurriness or like a scratchy sensation in the eye, like there's sand or pebbles in the eye, like a grittiness, that's dry eye. But the key is that it comes and goes. It really should not be there all the time. You know, if you wake up and you feel this discomfort and it's just not getting better throughout the day and it's still there and it's painful, definitely go get it checked out. But if you wake up like that and you put some drops in and you start to feel a little bit better, you feel like the eye is a little lubricated, it's soothed, then probably it's dry eye. But again, the best way to know is if it's a problem. If you have chronic symptoms, definitely go see your eye doctor, either your ophthalmologist or your optometrist and get it checked out.
0: So autoimmune came up previously and I've heard stories. We had a, a guest here one time, Jason Carp, who had some serious autoimmune and was almost going blind and he had a very rare condition the name of it escapes me he shared it on the podcast we'll provide it in the show notes but eventually went from he went from going blind to restoring his vision and it was auto, autoimmune at it's worst can you talk a little about it, a little bit about it, what you've seen and the connection between autoimmune and 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 eye health
1: Yeah, absolutely. So actually, I just did a, I just wrote a blog on this actually about autoimmune diseases in the eyes. There are over, I would say over 30 autoimmune diseases that manifest in the eye and the eye can have inflammation from the very front of the eye, meaning the lids, the cornea, the conjunctiva to all the way in the back of the eye and the retina. And even the optic nerve can get affected by autoimmune disease. And even the brain, which 30 is really interesting to about this, 30% of our brain is dedicated to our vision. So in terms of autoimmune diseases, it can affect the entire spectrum of vision. And ones I tend to see most often, because I am a neuro I see a lot of brain conditions like um, multiple sclerosis is a big one that I see in my practice. I also see a lot of patients with thyroid eye disease. For example, if they have Hashimoto's disease or Graves' disease, those are two autoimmune diseases that affect uh, the thyroid, but they cross-react with tissues in the eye socket and tissues on the surface of the eye, and they can cause a lot of inflammatory problems. And then I also see patients with lupus with with eye issues. They can have uh, inflammation in the retina on the surface of the eye as well. So there is a ho- there are a host of different autoimmune conditions that affect the eyes. But my approach is yes, yeah, sometimes if there's a real if there's an acute flare up, uh, the patient obviously may need emergent treatment with steroids or other similar heavy hitting medications. But my approach is really to try to use diet as a way to calm down the inflammatory reaction. So I've actually been quite successful in using dietary strategies to try to avoid pro-inflammatory foods and introduce anti-inflammatory foods to try to balance inflammation in the eye, whether that's from thyroid or MS or some of the other conditions I mentioned. And I've actually been able to get some of those patients of mine who have been on chronic steroids, either reduce their dose of steroids significantly or sometimes even get off off of those medications, which is really, it's really incredible, the power of food as an adjunct in terms of managing their disease.
0: Wow, you're preaching the choir here on that. Food is medicine. We all believe that here Mind buddy Green. I'm curious, is it the same food list we talked about before or there's some different foods you use for this specific circumstance?
1: Yeah, it's the foundation is that food list. But then I usually use 12 therapeutic foods for eye health. So we talked about the leafy greens, but also you want to get your omega threes. So wild caught fish, sometimes different kinds of seeds, chia seeds, hemp seeds, etc. And then also healthy oils, you want to cook with healthy oils. So whether it's olive oil or avocado oil, so just swapping out, Some of those pro-inflammatory foods also, you know, eliminating gluten, eliminating or reducing dairy. I mean, I've seen really remarkable improvements in some of my patients. And it's really interesting when I have them keep logs of what they're eating. And they're usually doing pretty well when they eliminate those things. And as soon as they have even just a little bit, if they say, I just ate something and by accident it happened to have a little bit of butter in it or had a little bit of grain gluten in it. Immediately my eye issue flared up, so it's really interesting that correlation that patients report the impact of their diet on their inflammation in their eyes food is medicine it really
0: is. all these great foods we just talked about, do they apply to kids? How, how should we think be thinking about our children and their eye health? Sa- same or a little same. different? Okay. Same.
1: And I would actually, in terms of the omega 3s, the DHA and EPA, I would actually recommend higher doses in kids because kids have developing brains and developing eyes at that point. And DHA, it is, it's a fat, it's, it's an omega 3 fatty acid. The highest percentage of DHA in the body is actually found in the eye and the retina. And it goes through very high turnover. So we always need a constant supply of DHA to keep our retina healthy. So little fun fact there. So
0: any, we always try to give our daughters wild salmon. We've got a four-year-old and a one and a half-year-old. I'm curious, any favorite supplements for kids that age with regards to eye health?
1: Yeah, so there, there are a couple of children's eye health supplements on the market now in gummy form because kids love gummies and unfortunately they don't have the omega-3s but they do have most of them do have that lutein and zeaxanthin that we talked about before and probably the mesozeaxanthin as well there's actually one that i really my daughter loves this one it's called lutein and it's made by twin lab and it has it's it's tasty, and it's got those great eye health
0: nutrients. Oh, cool. We'll check that out. And sometimes we try to hide, not hide, but disguise a little cod liver oil we'll pour on. Sometimes we get away with it. Sometimes we don't, but we try to (laughs) sneak it in there. Is there any truth? You often hear that lighter eyes, lighter color eyes are more sensitive. Is there any truth to that? Fact or fiction? It's
1: fact, actually. Yeah. So so people who have lighter colored eyes either blue or green or hazel they have less pigment in their iris which is the colored part of the eye so more light gets in and many people are very light sensitive and then actually people who have lighter colored eyes we know that they're more at risk for certain types of conditions like macular degeneration so many studies have shown that people with lighter eyes are at higher risk not just lighter eyes but also fairer skin and lighter hair color are more at risk for macular degeneration probably just has to do with the pigment the, the melanin that may absorb some of those potentially oxidative elements from light and et cetera. And then th- those are the two main things that I would say, just light sensitivity and then some of these age-related conditions.
0: So in closing, you know, it's, it's January, 2021. Lots of things happening in the world. What's exciting to you in terms of the conversation around eye health? Like, what does the future hold?
1: So the future... I would say the most challenging thing right now is certain eye conditions are reversible, but there are others that are not. So for example, if the retina is damaged from macular degeneration, you know, they're scarring, we can't reverse that. So looking forward, um, you know, I, I, do, I do run a couple of clinical trials on eye diseases, some genetic diseases, et cetera, but I think the future is really going to be in stem cells in terms of eye health. Now there are different types of stem cells and different modes of treatment for stem cells. So this is not something that is taken lightly. Really, if you're gonna opt for stem cells, make sure that you consider getting it done in a, in, as part of a clinical trial, not just in a clinic somewhere. You need to be part of a larger study because there are definite risks involved if you're gonna get stem cells. And these stem cells, they're not given intravenously, they're not given in other ways, they're actually given into the eye. So that's something else to really consider it's an invasive procedure, and you definitely want to, if you're going to do something like this, you want to go to a reputable place that's, that has some FDA regulation. You know, it's, it's set up and for safety, really. That's really the key. So. But I, I'm looking forward to that. I think that will really turn around a lot of those irreversible eye diseases that, that we've been so frustrated with.
0: And do you see more practitioners embracing food as medicine? when it comes to eye health?
1: I really hope so. So you know, this is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. I'm actually at risk for macular degeneration myself. I did some testing through 23andMe and I found that I have a gene for it. So I'm gonna be doing everything I can to protect and preserve my vision. I teach that to my patients, but my goal is to spread this information because in medical school, as many other doctors will probably tell you, we hardly get any training in nutrition, hardly. So, you know, what I've, I, I've shared with you, a lot of what I shared with you is my own research and digging and finding studies and, and, you know, what's worked, what's not worked. And so I really hope to get that message out to my fellow practitioners, because I think more ophthalmologists and optometrists need training in nutrition, in this concept of food is medicine and lifestyle. We are not trained in this. And it's really a shame. It really is. And I hope to turn that around.
0: Amen. We're with you. Ronnie, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure.